now listening to the Unshakable Health Podcast with Dr. Thomas Hemingway. All right. Well, happy December. Holy moly, where's the time gone? It is another month. We are just one month away from 2024. Holy moly. Crazy to even think about that. I still sometimes uh, think it's 2022. (laughs) Thank goodness I'm not writing my date on any papers or anything. I might get it wrong, but it's crazy. We're coming up on 2024. We're coming up on full on holiday season this month. So many things, lots of gatherings, I'm sure, and I hope so. I can't wait to spend Christmas with my family and be close to both my mom and stepmom who I love so much. Uh, just just excited. Uh, not excited to be leaving the warmth of Hawaii, <laughs> which we're going to be heading back to the mountains of Utah soon. And then thankfully, I got a trip planned for work in Florida where it'll be warm. Well, warmer anyway than Hawaii. Uh, the water there will be cold. It gets cold this time of year. It's not, uh, not like the beautiful uh, 80 degree water here in Hawaii that I've been enjoying for the last month or so. But uh, I hope you could, you are all doing great, that you had an amazing Thanksgiving, that you're getting ready, pumped up for the upcoming year, which I'm super excited about. In fact, I know how I'm spending my January. I am going to be rocking and rolling, doing all kinds of cool stuff. And I hope to see many of you at an amazing event called Align Breakthrough, which is happening in San Antonio the uh, third weekend, the 18th through the 20th of January. If you haven't gotten your tickets yet, you better act quickly because they are going quick and they will sell out. So you got to grab your tickets, grab somebody you care about, go with them. So much better if you go with other folks and you can just bounce ideas off, grow together. It is the best growth I would say, event of the year. This is amazing. It's going to be a dozen speakers, which many are just so prolific and amazing. Jamie Kern Lima, who is one of the first billionaires, self-made. She developed one of the most amazing companies, which she sold to L'Oreal, and then she was their CEO. Like She is just a powerhouse, and she's just way down to earth and super cool. I've heard her speak I don't know, three or four times, and every time she just brings it. And we are going to have her right there with us speaking to you, I hope, and to me. Uh, My wife and I, Brooke, will both be speaking, as well as some other amazing powerhouses like Trent Shelton, for example. Uh, Just so many cool folks are going to be there. You got to just check it out. Align events live. Make sure you grab your tickets quickly because they will sell out. And I can't wait to give many of you a hug. I'd love to sign your books, bring your copy of my book preventable with you and i would be happy to autograph that for you write a little uh dedication to you i'm just so grateful for you i'm so grateful for each and every one of you for being a part of this movement for picking up my book and if you haven't already please do that please grab a few copies this holiday season share them with friends and family i can't think of a better way to start your year than to dive into this book and dive into this event align breakthrough ah so excited. In fact, if you haven't already dropped a review over there on Amazon, please do, or over there on Apple Podcasts, you can still enter to win a free autographed, <laughs> dedicated copy of my book, which I will personally send to you. I'm giving out two this upcoming weekend, 
And I hope one of those will be you. And the simplest thing, all you got to do to enter is you drop a review either on Amazon for my book or on Apple for my podcast right here on Shakeable Health. And you can tag me, you can message me about it. I, I see them all. I read each and every one. And I will draw one of you to get a free copy. Actually, I'm going to do two. I'm going to do two folks are going to win a free copy of my book. So please, please, please drop a review over there on Amazon. Drop a review over there on the Apple Podcast app or rate and review wherever you get your podcasts. I would just love to see that. They just tickle me. In fact, I'm going to read a quick review that I just um, saw over there on Amazon, and this was from uh, this was from Meredith in Texas, and she gives five stars, and it's a verified Amazon purchase. She says, "Very practical and empowering book!" Exclamation point. I love Dr. Hemingway and his upbeat, practical strategies to live your best life. Exclamation point. His enthusiasm is contagious, and I've learned so much from this book and his podcast. Highly recommend, exclamation point. Again, thank you, Meredith from Texas. Appreciate you so much. And thank you to each and every one of you who have dropped a review already. And you will be entered to win, like I said, a free copy of my book. So I can't wait to give a couple of those out this weekend. So make sure you drop a review. Make sure you head on over there to Apple or wherever you do your podcast, rate and review, and that'll get you entered as well. So Without further ado, I'm excited this week because I'm going to talk about something that it's really, I, I think, groundbreaking, just earth-shattering stuff that I wasn't taught in medical school. I was not taught this stuff, yet I think it's one of the most important features of how we can not only get, obtain sort of optimal, ideal, great, fantastic health, wellness, but how we can actually prevent disease. Did you know that right now, present day, Seven out of the 10 leading causes of death worldwide, at least seven of them are primarily caused by things that we can prevent. So we're going to get into this. We're going to get into the show today, and we're going to talk about some of these important features because this wasn't taught to me in medical school, and it's still not taught to many folks uh, presently worldwide, and it just breaks my heart because right now, present day, According to the latest statistics, at least seven out of 10 of the leading causes of death throughout the whole world, this is not just U.S. and Canada and Western world, throughout the whole world, seven of 10 are mostly preventable. In fact, they are what we call the non-communicable diseases. Things like number one killer, women and men, present day throughout the entire world, number one killer is heart disease. Heart disease. And heart disease is largely preventable. Number two killer, stroke Number three, lung disorders like COPD, for example. One, two, three, boom. Those are the most common causes of death right now in the world, and they are all largely preventable. The others, Alzheimer's and the dementias, is one of the top uh, seven of ten. Diabetes, kidney disease, these are also largely preventable. And so I can't get into this <clears throat> with, I, I just really want to, this to hit home. What's interesting right now, present day, in fact, this started about five or six years ago, which is not awesome. It's not something we should be proud of. I'm definitely not. In fact, I'm kind of appalled by it. It's the fact that the human life expectancy right here at home in the United States of America is going down and has been going down each and every year for about the last five to six years, even prior to COVID. COVID didn't help, of course, because it caused those who already had significant 
illnesses, health challenges, comorbidities. It caused them to die sooner and also the elderly. And they just exacerbated, exaggerated this statistic, but it was already changing and going down. Our life expectancy was already going down prior to COVID, which makes almost absolutely no sense at all. When you think about a big picture stuff for well over a hundred years and more than any of our lifetimes here, we've had prosperity and increasing, increasing life expectancy. Our life expectancy was going up and up and up each and every year for over a hundred years. And now it's going down. Like what in the heck is happening here? We have the most advanced medical technologies. And I, I, I can speak to that being a board certified physician and working in hospitals and clinics for the last 20 plus years and seeing all this up and coming technology, the procedural things we're able to do. We still have amazing, amazing state of the art emergency care, which I just, I love to be able to offer and to be able to, um, to be able to extend this, um, to people to have this opportunity um, to have amazing emergency care, which we still do in this country, but what we don't have is good chronic disease care or preventative care or how do we actually, you know, well care, wellness, how, how do we prevent these diseases in the first place? We do a horrible job here in the United States and most of the Western world on preventing disease because just as I mentioned, seven out of 10 of the leading causes of death right now, present day, are almost entirely preventable. And this was not taught to me in medical school. In fact, we were basically just taught the genetic, you know, heritability, if you will, of disease. And there are absolutely disease conditions which you can inherit and they are significant they are severe they you know do run in the genes things like cystic fibrosis for example phenylketonuria uh, there's many that that do um, have a strong genetic component but the overwhelming majority of what kills us and i just listed to you seven out of ten of the leading causes of death none of these are really genetic these are basically environmental these are choices we make what we do or what we don't do in our exposures our environment our you know this is the strongest predictors of disease because let's just think about this right now if we look at our human dna in fact, this has been done in the last decade. We've been able to basically sequence the entire human genome, right? The Genome Project. And if we look at our genes today compared to what they were 100 years ago or even 1,000 years ago, they are literally 99.9999% the same as what they were hundreds, even thousands of years ago. So what has changed is not really our genes, right? And yet, you know, for the last hundred years, we've been living longer. Up until recently, five or six years ago, we started living shorter. In fact, I can't even bear the thought of thinking that my kids could die sooner than I. Like, they potentially will live less long than I will because of this horrifying statistic that a lot of people don't even know about. Our life expectancy is going down, yet we can, C-A-N, that's the cool thing, we can do so much about it because most of this is not in, in the genes because in the last hundred years, our genes haven't really appreciably changed. In fact, in the last thousand years, our human genes haven't really changed that much. But what has changed significantly is our epigenome or above the genome, which is basically all the other things, the things that we do that affect how our genes are expressed. This is a really exciting topic. In fact, 
It's been known about at least since the 1950s, epigenetics. It's not something brand new, yet, sadly, I was not even taught this to any extensive degree at all in my medical school. We'd never talked about epigenetics because I think we just felt like it wasn't that big of a thing, but actually it is the thing, the thing that really decides for the most part whether or not our genes can help us or potentially hurt us because epigenetics is basically, in Greek, it just means epi is above or above the genes. It's all the things that talk to the genes that decide ultimately if our genes are expressed or in other words, that they are turned on or if they are turned off. And this is really important because take cancer, for example. If we have what's called an oncogene, that's a cancer-promoting gene potentially, like many of you have heard of certain genes out there like the BRCA1 gene or the BRCA, the breast cancer uh, gene that does definitely cause a predisposition to breast cancer, although it's not 100%. There are women who live a healthy, good, long life who never get breast cancer who have this BRCA gene. And why is that? Because they have turned off this cancer-promoting or oncogene with a process potentially that we can affect with our lifestyle. Our lifestyle can be super powerful because it gets to affect whether genes are turned on like if we have a breast cancer gene, BRCA1, for example, and that's turned on, we'll potentially get breast cancer. If it's turned off, hopefully we won't. Also, with respect to cancer, there are other sort of tumor suppressor genes, if you will, that we actually want turned on because we want to suppress tumors because all of us right now, whether we want to believe it or not, we literally have cancerous cells in our body. That is really, really common that we have some. But they're at a low level, and our body basically fights them off kind of like an infection. It gets rid of them. We don't want to have these cancer cells uh, predominating uh, and proliferating. And we do that by these helpful areas in our genes called the <coughs> tumor suppression uh, genes that turn off basically the uh, the cancer-promoting genes, or they turn off the features, or they get rid of the cancer-promoting cells, um, the tumor suppressor ones, whereas the oncogenes are the cancer-promoting ones. So we want those cancer-promoting genes, we want those turned off, and then we want the tumor suppressor genes turned on. And what's the primary way that we do that? Well, there's a couple different ways that epigenetics can work. And if you get a little bit nerdy and geeky, get at the scientific level, there's something called DNA methylation which is actually simpler than it sounds. It sounds super complicated, but basically you just take a methyl group, which is a carbon and three hydrogens, a methyl group. You just take that and you add it to part of the DNA, and that's called methylation. And when that happens, typically, now this, this is not, uh, this is not uh, you know, super super high-tech kind of stuff. It's basically just, like I said, one carbon atom, three hydrogens, that's called the methyl group. You add that to a certain area. Typically, that turns off a gene. And then when a gene's turned off, then you don't have what's called transcription and later down the line, translation. So you're not actually making a protein out of that gene. So that's methylation. Methylation uh, typically turns a gene off. And then when you demethylate or you take the methyl group away, then that turns the gene on. So 
let's say you have a cancer-promoting gene, right? A so-called oncogene. So this one, you want to be methylated. You want it to have one of these carbon and three hydrogens attached to that area there that keeps that gene turned off because you don't want to have an oncogene which promotes cancer to be turned on, right? You want it off. So methylation is key. And many of you have heard of this whole uh, methylation issue because there are folks among us that have challenges with methylation. Maybe you've heard of the MTH. FR, the methyl, the methyl tetrahydrofolate reductase uh, uh, enzyme. And that, that specifically has to do with folate uh, metabolism, but this whole methylation process, some people don't have it as, should I say, effective as others. And you can actually get this tested. There's uh, several uh, genetic tests that look for this. But one of the things you can do to promote this to occur more easily, the methylation, is by actually having folate in your diet. Like real folate is best, right? If you're going to get it from your darker green leafies like uh, kale or spinach or, you know, the veggies that have that uh, folate in there, that's fantastic. Also adding uh, folate to, for example, a supplement regime, a multivitamin is a great place to get it if it's the actual form that your body can use, right? The methyl folate, methyl folate. And so I personally do take a vitamin that has methyl folate. It also has methylcobalamin, which is vitamin B12, because those are the active forms of these nutrients that our body can actually use. But DNA methylation is one of these ways that we get to help either turn off genes like this oncogene, for example, this case that I was mentioning, like the BRCA gene, for example, you want that turned off. So you want to have a good methylation. Um, another process is called a modification of the histones. Now, not to get too complicated, but basically like in the nuclei of cells, that's the center control center, you have DNA, right? And the DNA is typically kind of wound up. It's kind of like a, a spool of yarn or thread wound up around proteins called histones. The histones would be like the spool and the DNA is wrapped around it, if you will. And when they're packed together tightly, then typically you know, the proteins aren't really reading the genes and not accessing them. So that's kind of like a way to turn it off when the histones are packed uh, tightly. And when they are not, um, it's easier for the enzymes and such to read the genes and so the genes are turned on. So turning histones, um, or I should say, having histones wrapping up your DNA effectively can kind of turn off genes and, and having less histones wrapped in there um, can effectively turn them on. And the processes by which this occurs is both by methylation and by acetylation. Acetylation is just a different group that you add called an acetyl group um, that uh, enables the uh, histones to, to be wrapped up in this complex that we were talking about. It's actually called chromatin, but that's not really, uh, we, we don't need to get into that. There's a form called heterochromatin, and you can kind of get into the details, get in the weeds, if you will, but not, uh, you don't, don't really need to know too much about that. But basically, that's another way in which you can affect your DNA, whether it gets expressed or not, the so-called turning on or turning off through this histone modification. The first was the methylation that we talked about, DNA methylation. That's usually specific places like the promoter area. Um, and then the histone modification, which as I just spoke of, when the DNA is wrapped around these histones, it tends to be kind of inactivated, um, which is interesting. I don't know if you know this or not. Most of our genes are just sitting there deactivated, <laughs> right? 
which kind of makes sense. And if you think about it, just in your body, looking at different organs, like the heart versus the kidney versus the lungs. Now, all of the cells in these three organs, the heart, the kidney, the lungs, they have exactly the same identical DNA. Yet one cell is a heart cell, right? A muscular cell. Another is a lung cell, which in the alveoli, these are very different looking than what uh, would be a muscular cell like in the heart. And then the third, a kidney cell, uh, in the glomerulus, for example, they're all very, very different. And what's interesting is they all have the same identical DNA. But the way in which certain genes are turned on to make it a heart cell and turned off so that it's not a muscle cell or a lung cell is through this process that we're talking about, through methylation, through histone modification. There's also an, a way to do it through the, the RNA, which is called non-coding RNA. And there's, that's another process by which this sort of turning on and turning off, which is kind of what we call the epigenetics, how to influence the expression of genes can occur. And we see that basically every single day in our body because when we injure our skin, the skin knows how to recruit um, <clears throat> the the materials, the raw materials, if, if you will, to repair and make another skin cell. It's not going to make a heart cell in the skin or a kidney cell or a lung cell. It knows how to turn on and turn off. It's actually really an amazing process and what's super cool is it's been shown that certain behaviors can turn on helpful genes and turn off those that aren't helpful, like the oncogenes, right? The ones that cause cancer. Certain behaviors like exercise have been shown to turn off those cancer-causing genes. Like really cool, cool stuff. And this is, like I said, something that, that I was not taught at all <laughs> in medical school yet, it happens and it, it, it can be seen very readily. Like I just mentioned, you know, what makes a muscle cell different from a heart cell, different from a kidney cell, different from a lung cell. Basically, this is epigenetics. This is the turning on or turning off. Another interesting feature is that as we age, our epigenetics change, right? At birth, we don't have the same number of methylation uh, sites like we did as a, as a newborn, for example. <clears throat> What's interesting is methylation decreases, which with age, which kind of makes sense because as we get older, we're definitely going to potentially be more predisposed to having like a cancer, for example. It's unlikely that a baby will have a cancer. It's super rare. But as we get older and older, cancer incidence goes up. And remember how I said DNA methylation typically turns off genes, like a cancer gene, for example. And as we age, we have we tend to have less DNA methylation. In fact, one of the, the most commonly used tests nowadays to sort of measure what we call our biologic age versus chronologic age uses this feature of DNA methylation. And I talked about this a little bit in a previous podcast that I did a while back. So you can take a look at that where I talk about uh, longevity and how to measure your so-called physiologic age or biologic age versus what we measure every year with birthdays, right? Our chronologic age. And you can actually have, for example, uh, younger physiologic age than your chronologic age. Um, and I, I actually haven't tested this yet, but I would suspect that although I'm in my 50th year of life, my physiologic age is most likely much younger than that because I feel as great as I did when I was 20 years old. I, I'm feeling amazing, and it's because I'm paying attention to these epigenetic factors. Uh, so epigenetics and age. Um, what's also interesting is certain behaviors <clears throat> can alter your gene expression, right? And this is not uh, 
this is not like rocket science. This is actually seen quite readily. Uh, a common example that some people are familiar with is how smoking can cause epigenetic changes. There's a certain gene, it's called the AHRR gene, and sp- smokers tend to have less methylation uh, of this AHRR gene than the non-smokers. And what's interesting is that when you quit smoking, the folks that, that quit, then they can actually start to increase their methylation. And ultimately, after about a year or more, they can recover these uh, methylation sites, if you will, to be able to reflect a non-smoking population. So it's actually really interesting um, how this can happen. The cool thing about this is that no matter where you are today, like you can change. You can be healthier tomorrow and next month and next year. And hopefully 2024 is just going to be your year for your optimal health because there's so much that you can do. And so if there's one thing that I want to just reiterate and just shout from the rooftop is that you are in charge. You get to decide ultimately the overwhelming majority of what equates to your health and disease and hopefully the absence thereof, you can affect that with what you do uh, or what you don't do, like smoking. Hopefully you don't do that. And as you don't do that, you'll be healthier, right? It's, it's just not rocket science here. But the, <clears throat> what's interesting, like I, I just uh, shared with these uh, oncogenes, for example, certain behaviors will turn off or they will methylate the oncogenes. So they are inactive. Like, like uh, I mentioned at the outset, the BRCA, the BRCA1 gene, um, gene expression goes way, way down if you have healthy promoting behaviors like a normal weight, like exercise, like decreased stress, good sleep. All of these things increase the methylation of that so that it turns it off. And so that just because you have that gene, the BRCA1 gene, does not mean that you will absolutely 100% get breast cancer. Of course, your risks are increased, especially if there's behaviors that you do um, dietary-wise or maybe lack of exercise, lack of sleep, these kinds of things that'll make it more likely. But it is not your destiny. Your genes, for the most part, are not your destiny, even when it comes to cancer genes like the BRCA gene or Alzheimer's, for example, the APOE allele. Many of you have heard of that. If you have one copy, you have increased risk. If you have two copies, it's even uh, increased even further. However, you can have two copies of that APOE allele and not get Alzheimer's because of these things these epigenetic factors that you get to control. You get to control this. So this is really, really cool stuff. This is, I, I, it just makes me so excited to even think about because when I was in medical school, we were not taught that. We thought that pretty much all disease, the majority of it was just genetic. It's just what you were dealt, the hand that you were dealt. Now we understand that the majority of it is actually not that. It's not encoded into the genes, if you will. It's not our destiny. We actually get to decide. Like the most common diseases we talked about, right? Like heart disease, type 2 diabetes, cancer, Alzheimer's. These are predominantly lifestyle diseases. And they used to call them diseases of aging. But what we have found is that you don't have to get these diseases. Even as you age, you don't have to. It's not a prerequisite. It's not an absolute. And the way that you can avoid getting these diseases are simple behaviors. In fact, the most powerful behaviors that are these sort of epigenetic factors are what I focused on in my book, right? The F, 
MSGs, <laughs> the, the mnemonic. You guys might have heard that before. F MSGs. Like we don't want to, you know, have monosodium glutamate MSG in our food. So add a plural to that. F MSGs. And in my book, I talk about these biggest levers, these epigenetic sort of factors, environmental factors, lifestyle factors that we get to control that will give us the best chance at not only avoiding many of these diseases, but building optimal health. And I'll just do a quick, quick, a quick reminder of what these are. And like I said, I, I discuss them in great detail in the book. So don't worry, there's at least one, if not two or three or even four or more chapters on many of these subjects. But F is the food part, right? Food is either your best possible medicine, best possible medicine, best possible nutrient, best thing ever, or food could be a slow poison. I heard somebody say once that uh, <laughs> heart disease was a foodborne illness. And honestly, that is mostly correct. I mean, literally foodborne in the sense that you get it from your diet. If you have a really crappy diet full of highly processed, ultra processed foods, which 60 to 70% of the average American food sources nowadays are ultra processed foods, well, no duh, heart disease is going to go up. So <laughs> it could be considered a foodborne illness. So make your food choices well. It's actually really simple, real whole foods. That's the holy grail, the panacea. If you can get you know, organic, well-sourced, awesome, fantastic. But the main thing is just eat real food. Plain and simple, trumps everything. Eat real food, hopefully well-sourced, real food. And avoid the big three, right? The highly processed sugar, highly processed grains and flowers, and the seed oils, all of those vegetable oils, if you will. You avoid those three things, and you're going to, for the most part, avoid all the other bad stuff like the, the additives, the artificial colors, artificial flavors, the artificial preservatives, all these kinds of things. Typically, you'll avoid them as well when you avoid those big three because they come together. Just eat real food. Really, really simple. Eat real food. <laughs> F, MSG, and M is movement. You got to move your body each and every day. Like right now, I'm podcasting to you. I'm standing up. I'm waving my hands. I'm dancing. I am moving. I love to move throughout the day as much as humanly possible. If you haven't tried this already, grab a box, put it on your desk. Maybe you need two boxes or a stack of books like I often use right now. My computer's on a stack of books. Make your desk a standing desk. That is simplest thing ever to increase your movement throughout the day. Get a standing desk, go for a walk 10 minutes after each of your meals, so two to three times a day. You're moving for 30 minutes right there with a simple walk. Like, so easy. The things are not difficult. Make sure you include two to three days, hopefully closer to three, of resistance training or some kind of strength training with body weight, like I'm doing air squats right now while I'm talking to you, or you can do lunges or burpees or the plank, or you can lift some uh, dumbbells, barbells, whatever. But do something with weights two to three days a week. Movement is critical. FMSG sleep. You can't wait to sleep until you're dead. Like I thought you could. <laughs> because of that famous uh, Cure, Cure 413 dream song, right? Sleep when you're dead. No, we got to sleep now. We got to sleep, you know, seven or eight hours a night because that's where we refresh the system. We rejuvenate all of the flush of all the toxins, we get rid of that all during the night while we sleep. Effectively, only as we sleep can this process called autophagy and the whole glymphatic system of the brain wash out all those toxins like those that could be the ones causing Alzheimer's, Parkinson's. That only happens while we sleep. So you got to prioritize sleep. I have a whole chapter or more in the book talking specifically about that. But one quick tip I'll give is 
Start your day with natural light. Get outside for five or 10 minutes in the first couple hours of the day. Have that set your circadian rhythm. And at night, make sure you have a three-hour food curfew. Try to not eat close to bedtime. Very simple. If you can get off your devices an hour or two before bed, even better. Just make it a routine. Have a routine, right? Just like kids have a bedtime routine. We as adults, we need a bedtime routine. Anyway, grab the book. It'll, it'll tell you all the deets on that. But FMSG, sleep. G, oh my goodness, my favorite topic of all times is gut health. All disease begins in the gut. Said Hippocrates 2,500 some odd years ago. I say, Dr. Hemingway says, all health begins in the gut. The gut is critical. We got to take care of it. Your so-called gut garden, the gut brain axis, the connection there, your second brain. I mean, I can't say enough good things. 80% or more of our immune system, like I said, last week's podcast is located in the gut. So you got to take care of your gut. You want to get and be and sustain optimal health. You can't ignore your gut. If you want specifics on that, grab the book. I have, gosh, I don't know, 100 plus pages on gut health. It's just so critical, so key. So many things from the foods we eat, the things that we also need to avoid, both food and other uh, behaviors and things that we need to avoid. Also, I talk about supplements, essential ones that really can help us. All these things are in the book, but you got to pay attention to your gut because they literally outnumber you both in genetic material, the DNA, way more of that. They have way more of that than we do. And also in the numbers, there's trillions and trillions, 30 some odd, 40, 50 trillion of them, and there's less human cells. So we should pay attention. So all health, remember, all health begins in the gut. Next thing, last but not least, Stress, that's the second S. F-M-S-G's, plural. S is stress. We gotta learn how to optimize stress. And so I, I spend a chapter or more in the book talking about stress, how a lot of it actually is within our control. We get to decide, right? That famous study, 2012 study of like 800,000 patients where they looked at what was causing these diseases that made people die younger, right? Was it the stress or was it something else? And what was so interesting about this is, right, they asked the folks to rate high levels, medium levels, or low levels of stress, and they predicted that those with the higher levels would die sooner. Well, that did occur in some of them. But only part of those folks that believed that stress, so basically those that had a high level of stress, those that believed that it was bad for them, they said, stress is harmful. Stress is going to give me disease. Stress is going to be a stomach ulcer. It's going to give me heart disease. It's going to make me die younger of cancer, whatever. Well, they actually did die younger. They had more diseases because they believed it. The second half of those people that had the highest level of stress but did not believe that that was harmful to them, that believed that their stress could actually be a growth experience, health promoting. It could be a challenge, right? The so-called challenge response. Those people actually had a pro protective effect, protective. They lived longer. They did not die younger. They did not have as many health challenges and diseases because they did not believe that stress was inherently bad for them. Stress can just be neutral. We get to decide at the end of the day, like Viktor Frankl says, we get to decide, we get to decide, and nobody can take that from us, how we will respond to stress, right? Like Hans Selye says, it's not the stress that kills us, it's how we respond to it. So that's the, the, the quick skinny on the FMSGs, which are the most powerful levers in my experience, how we can 
prevent most disease. Remember, seven out of 10 of the leading causes of death are preventable. And we can use this to our advantage, the epigenetics that we get to control, which can turn off those cancer-causing genes like the oncogenes. It can turn on the tumor suppressor genes and all the other goodness that can happen. There were a few uh, other studies I wanted to share with you, but I just want this to be a brief podcast to get you pumped up for the new year, knowing that you are the most powerful factor. You, you get to decide. And you've got this. It doesn't matter where you start today or in a couple of weeks, January 1, if you want to make that the day. But how about now, right? The best time to do this is either now or tomorrow when you wake up, right? I mean, forget about a year ago or 10 years ago. It's right now. The time is now to choose health as your top priority. Because I promise you, when you prioritize your health, everything else falls into line, right? You will feel better. You'll have more energy. You'll get more done. Like it, it's just, it's a snowball effect to the positive when you choose health health. And so that's why I wrote this book, Preventable, Five Powerful Practices to Avoid Disease and Build Unshakable Health, because it talks about each of these levers and how you can use that simply and on the cheap. Like literally 95% of the strategies in the book are free. They are behaviors. They are habits that we do, some that we don't do, certain choices that we can make. I keep it really, really simple. The FMSGs, you guys are going to have that dialed and it's going to change your life. It is so powerful. I hope that you'll grab the book. I hope if you grab it already, I hope you'll grab another couple copies and share it with your friends, family, relatives, because this is just such powerful stuff. What better time to do this as we're starting up on a new year coming soon, and we're really taking the bull, the proverbial bull by the horns, and deciding that we, we get to decide. We are the most powerful. It's not in those darn genes, right? The only genes that, that, uh, that, that uh, I was going to make a dumb jo- joke about blue genes, but genes are not the end-all be-all for the most common health conditions, right? Seven out of 10, these so-called non-communicable diseases that are killing us as a society are largely preventable. And you get to decide. So forget about where you were yesterday or a year ago. Right now, today, you can make the decision to take charge and make health your top priority. And I promise you, you're not going to regret it. You will feel better. You will have more energy. You will be able to do more, give more, serve more because you'll just feel like it. You'll feel amazing. You'll be smiling. You'll want to help people because you'll just feel so much better, have so much more energy because health, I'll be honest with you, you know, 20 plus years as a physician, never once, not even one time have I ever had somebody come to me and say, hey, doc, I'm so upset. I'm so peeved. I'm so, I can't believe, uh, I have such amazing health and I'm so mad. I hate having great health. (laughs) I've never had anybody say that. Not once, ever in 20 plus years as a physician. Now I've heard the converse dozens, hundreds, probably thousands of times where you don't have great health and you're super bummed about it. It affects you, right? It hinders you. I don't want that to be your future. I don't want you to be encumbered. I want you to be able to do what you want to do, live the life that you want, be able to take a walk with your favorite person, be able to throw ball or hang with your grandkids, be able to climb up a flight of stairs at any time in your life, like be able to grab the groceries and pick them up and be able to put them on the shelves of your home, like whatever you got to do and do stuff that you just love, like dance or run or walk or play a sport or 
whatever you enjoy, I want that for you. And health is the way to be able to achieve that. And it's simple. It's not complicated. I detail it all out in the book, and I hope you'll grab a copy. And I just want, I just want you guys to know that I appreciate you. I thank you. And it can be simple. We could get bogged down in the weeds, if you will. There's so much out there research now. Thankfully, more and more every day about these epigenetic phenomena that literally are what we should care about. How genes get turned on or how they get turned off, right? This stuff, thankfully, is finally coming front and center. More folks are becoming aware of this strong potential that we have within us to decide Take charge of our health. We get to decide whether we have these seven out of 10 leading causes of death like we can do without. And we can do that by choice of what we do each and every day or what we don't do, right? Like don't smoke. Don't sit on your butt all day. Don't not exercise. We we get to do this and it is simple. It is easy. It will change your life. And I am going to be sharing this till the end of time. As you know, my goal is to not only stay healthy, be healthy for the decades, but I want to continue to be active until I'm 100 plus years old. I'm going to be, and I'm going to say it right here because I want you to hold me accountable, the first surfer to continue to surf at 100 years old. I'm going to do that and I am on (laughs) a roll because I'm teaching my kids and they're keeping me honest. They keep me moving. They keep me doing the things that will move the needle and I hope you will too. Until next time, a big aloha, mahalo, and thank you, thank you, thank you. Aloha.